to Hey Siri, a podcast about psychology, relationships, and most importantly, piping hot tea. Sit down, take a sip, and remember to subscribe as resident pop culture expert Zochi and struggling PhD student Siri take you through the what, why, and how of relationship research and what that means for your non-scientifically researched relationships. All of this research is coming out all the time, but academic literature can be intimidating and difficult to connect to real life. So let us do it for you. Siri will tell us all about what research is taking the psychology world by storm. On today's episode, she will tell us all about the ins and outs of office romance. Why does it happen? Is it a good idea? What about if it ends badly? After hearing the research for and against office relationships, Zochi will guide Siri through the wonderful world of Dunder Mifflin, a small paper supply company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and we'll discuss one of the most beloved TV couples of all time, Jim and Pam. I'm excited for this one. <laughs> okay, so starting with the research, I found an article that came out earlier this year. Yay! Uh, called, yeah, yeah, I think now that we're in November, it's getting easier to find research that's like 2021. That is fair. Now that we're, yeah, near the end of the year. So the article is, it's a literature view, so not an empirical piece they didn't do a study they just reviewed the state of the literature on a certain topic and it's called the inevitability of workplace romance by dallas billick and it was published in the canadian journal of family and youth in 2021 <laughs> <laughs> our lord so the author starts by just kind of explaining that there's been an increase in office romances because of the fact that more and more women have been entering the workplace after World War One and Two, right? That that does make sense. Yeah. So just like more people in the workforce in general, uh, but then also more people like straight people who are you know meeting men and women, and especially now that we're spending more and more time at work. Um, and like in offices and a lot of our relationships are with other people at work, friendships and otherwise, it's just, yeah, it's becoming increasingly more common. She also, she or he, they also tell us right off the bat that workplace romances generally have more cons than pros. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So first the author goes through kind of like what, like why they're, why they're kind of have negative consequences. I guess more of like what influences workplace romances and then also characteristics of workplace romance that are different than other types of romantic relationships you would have. So the first one that you don't see really outside of workplace romances is whether the relationship is hierarchical or lateral. So in a hierarchical workplace romance, this is where like there's a subordinate dating like their boss or like it doesn't even have to be their boss it's just like when you have one person at a lower level in the company and one person at a higher level wait we do remember from our last working together episode that we found that most of the relationships were between like a lower and a higher mm-hmm well i mean and we'll go over that so 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 in a lateral relationship, both of the individuals have about the same status. So hierarchical relationship, like lateral relationships, like there's not as much risk there. Hierarchical relationships can be harmful like in multiple ways. So like 
there's that innate power imbalance in the relationship, which we know like is not good in any relationship. In any relationship, you want each partner to have equal power. But then second of all, like the reaction from other coworkers tends to be more vitriolic because they see that subordinate employee as having like special privileges because they are dating a higher up. So then they're resentful, the employee is treated worse. Like basically like the article makes the case that like no one should ever be in a hierarchical relationship, like in workplace romances. Class warfare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I understand. Um, and then you have to think about why people get involved in workplace romances. And the literature has kind of consistently identified three main motivations. And not only motivations that someone engages in workplace romance, but also motivations that might be perceived by other people and then reacted to. So these motivations are love, ego, and job. So if you begin an office romance for love, it's because you're looking for a committed long-term relationship. You really like this person, you see a future with them. Um, and this is seen like way more positively by other coworkers than if someone went into the romance because of ego. So like basically for the thrill because it's exciting or for the job. So like hoping for career advancement or financial gain because you're in this relationship. Unfortunately, the latter two, so ego and job, are tend to be motivations that people engage in hierarchical relationships. Um, and that's kind of part of why these types of relationships are like really damaging. And then also the workplace culture can affect how often you see workplace romance and other people's reactions to it. So more traditional um, conservative workplaces like banks or schools are less likely to have office romances and more likely to see them in a negative light. Whereas in more busy and liberal places like restaurants, advertising agencies, um, you'll kind of see the opposite. That's so funny because anecdotal, um, I went to the wedding of my partner's aunt and she and her husband met at their job at a bank. Hmm. I guess it could also be like, they didn't, the author didn't mention this, but maybe like geographic locations. So if you just live in a more liberal place, you may be more likely to see it. That's funny. Also, the article mentioned that younger people and millennials they mentioned in particular are more likely to engage in office romance um, and especially in casual um office relationships so i wonder if you have like a lot of younger employees even if it's more of a conservative place you'd see more maybe yeah she's pretty young and they mentioned that younger younger people are actually more likely to engage in office romances because um because they're less traditional and media influence media influence like the office but also like and i see this with myself too and i think maybe it's partially because of just like a change in the world we live in but like i think younger people are more comfortable uh blurring the lines between their personal and professional lives so like i have 100 percent always texted every boss that i've had like that's been a normal thing and we've texted like outside of work hours and like i answer emails on my phone outside of work hours like i think 
were just more involved in the job versus like 50 years ago like you couldn't be that involved in the job that is an interesting point you know we're so accessible at all times at this point like I've definitely texted with every single boss that I've ever had and I've never even worked in like Europe in like some pretty fancy important jobs you know I work as a baker <laughs> um but yeah it's the same with every I went job. in to go to the grad lounge today and it's basically a bare room with a stained carpet and a couple computers that run really slowly and then I found out today that uh the light doesn't even work like the light burned out and no one no one's gonna fix it so I walked down the hallway in the dark and tried to get in <laughs> it was like it's it's a dark hallway too because of course they don't give us windows oh my god so yeah I work at really fancy place <laughs> okay to be fair don't you feel cool when you're like, yeah, I'm a PhD candidate? It's no big deal. <laughs> I only teach at a college, at a university. It's no big deal. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm only smarter than probably anyone you've ever met, but don't worry about it. Wow. I can only tell if your marriage is going to end within 15 minutes of meeting <laughs> you, but don't worry. I'll not tell you. And somehow that makes it better. <laughs> That is really funny. <laughs> oh, wait. So, who do you think faces, who do you think is more likely to face negative consequences of workplace romance, women or men? You know, going out on a really thin limb here, I'm going to say maybe um, there's a little more scrutiny when it comes to women. Really? You think maybe women are marginalized? You think I think I think maybe you know if she's dressing slutty, like there can be like some, (laughs) you know, dubious thought towards that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So women basically are almost the only ones who face negative consequences of workplace romance. Mm -hmm. Um. Women in hierarchical relationships where they were the subordinate uh, were more likely to be transferred or fired um, and are seen by coworkers as less trustworthy and caring. This is like obviously reflected in cultural scripts because like, you know, when we say, oh, that person will sleep their way to the top, we are never referring to a man or other people aren't. I do like to assume that men are sleeping their way to the top. <laughs> they're just uh they're not that sharp <laughs> and then you know this is also just due to our patriarchal society where we see women as having less value than men in the workforce um and in general women women view workplace romances more negatively than men and that's probably like in part because they know that they would be the ones put in risk that put at risk in these situations yeah so that was interesting um so yeah so those are kind of the things that characterize and influence workplace romance um in terms of the consequences they can be really impacted by co-workers reactions that's like one big thing that dictates um how the people involved in the romance like their own well-being and their productivity and so on and coworkers' reactions can vary based on a couple different factors. So, if the romantically involved coworkers had had a friendly relationship before 
the romance, if the relationship between each member of the couple and other employees is trusting, and if the couple is open about their relationship, it's likely to be perceived more positively. But, like, one of the big things, I guess the two biggest things, are if they seem like they're trying to hide their relationship, or even like, if they just don't disclose it at all, or it's a hierarchical relationship, uh, it's more likely to be perceived negatively. Which makes sense. That does make sense. I can see that. And then when coworkers perceive a workplace romance negatively, they can have a really, really negative impact on the professional and personal well-beings of the couple partners, usually because they'll behave in hostile ways or spread gossip. That's like the big thing, like malicious gossip. That's not good. Um, but the couple partners can also sabotage themselves by spending like a like a huge amount of time, an excessive amount of time on like personal interactions during work hours, showing less employee engagement because they're so wrapped up in each other. And this kind of thing can mean that they'll have lower job satisfaction, they'll be less committed to the job, more likely to call out, and like they might even just leave straight up. But like obviously one of the biggest negative consequences is when the relationship goes badly. So specifically hierarchical relationships can lead to things like sexual harassment and coercion. And then the authors mentioned that it can cause quote discriminatory managerial decision making. That's not good. That's like illegal. To, yeah. And that has legal ramifications. So there was one short paragraph about some benefits. Uh-huh. So, um, like having like work, workplace romance are probably more likely to happen in an organizational climate that's warm and caring and populated by supportive coworkers. Just because like you like it there, you're probably gonna find someone you like to date. It's like. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, and then when workplace romances romances end in marriage, that may be a good thing. Just because like that means that probably the employee's personal life is fulfilled and rich. And so they're more likely to be engaged at work, I guess. I wasn't super convinced. That is the same conclusion we came to in the previous study we looked at where it's uh, it's good for the workplace. It's not great for the relationship yeah exactly that's interesting yeah so the other basically kind of ends with saying that you know although workplace romances are not a great idea and like they really should never happen between coworkers who are at different levels in the organization they are going to keep happening <laughs> and to deal with excuse me i've had a lot of ginger ale today <laughs> to deal with the, the consequences, um, organizations should have clear and specific policies regulating these relationships. And there's a couple ways they can go about this. So like one option is just to handle these relationships case by case, right? And just kind of decide based on the details of that specific relationship, like what's most fair to do here. The, the article did say that couple partners should be counseled on the possible negative outcomes so they know like what they're risking and if they are in a hierarchical relationship um, it was suggested that they either be given the decision to break up 
or have one partner transfer into a different department like basically like yeah I definitely can't see any negative ramifications coming from that that sounds like it's like a really solid 100% plan oh (laughs) so another way they suggested handling these relationships was by using what what the author called a love contract ew (laughs) it's like not a good name so both partners would be required to sign a document saying that basically the relationship is consensual and it will not quote cause problems for the organization in the future which is like (laughs) this is not legally binding and how could you see into the future like okay wow that's just like a lot and the author did mention that this specifically may not go over well among millennials because they tend to prefer more flexibility and less formal regulations. So, hmm. Anyway, whichever way the organization does decide to handle the workplace romances, because it has to handle them, like you can't just ignore them, um, You sh- they also need to be like very aware of possible legal ramifications. Uh, hence the pre-nup-nup. Pre-pre-nup? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, because, like, honestly, this is the type of thing that could really backfire in, like, major legal ways. So, and as, like, a teeny-weeny little note in the article that, like, kind of was just put in there that I found really interesting, some researchers have suggested that organizations actually make concentrated attempts to include spouses and families in work events, like company parties or retirement celebrations, so that it's harder for employees to hide extramarital affairs. Dude, honestly, I like, as you were saying that, I read the end of that sentence in the notes and my jaw literally dropped. I know. It was, this is kind of just dropped in and I was like, okay, but can we say more about this? This is so interesting. My God. I want a whole study on that. I know. I know. Is that what your department does? Can I like (laughs) subpoena you? Can I censure you? (laughs) Can I bribe you? What do you do oh with researchers God. nowadays? I would love to see this. I don't even know how you would study this because, like, I don't know. It's just so interesting. Also, like, I just feel like maybe that could go wrong, too, because that can just lead to more extramarital affairs being revealed. <laughs> and Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. I need a study and then, like, a 10-part series on Bravo. I need a documentary. <laughs> with, like, this is, like, untapped <laughs> gold. I know. It was really interesting. That's crazy. No, that was like, that dropped me a little bit. Oh my god. We got to the very end of that doc and I was like, what? I know. (sighs) (sighs) Okay. I'm going to recover for a minute. I just got really hot. (laughs) Wearing a sweatshirt. Oh my god. Okay. I am so excited. Um... (laughs) For our discussion because I feel like I feel like this article actually did a really good job of like laying down this the types of things that we're we should be considering by the time we get to the end of this we're both going to be freaking out <laughs> like <laughs> just how much of a oh bombshell that last like sentence was in your doc just wait till they get to the season nine. Oh, I'm excited oh boy okay so Siri has seen one episode of the office that I made her watch for a bonus episode is so true we watched an episode the first episode of season two the dundies so i'm going to start by giving siri a rundown about what the office is about and how her characters know each other because her 
guess is based on gifts. Um, it is. We're a little bit off. Just a tiny bit, though. You were close on, like, a lot. Yeah. Really close. <laughs> you knew their names. I would not be able to predict who breaks up in three minutes. Just, uh, <laughs> based on my accuracy with this. <laughs> The Office is a workplace sitcom masquerading as a mockumentary about a small-town business. It came out in March 2005 and laid some groundwork for later mockumentary series like Parks and Recreation and Modern Family. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, actually, Modern Family, they mention it in the first episode and then never again. It's uh, an exchange student who came to live with them who's filming. Mm. They, like, scrapped that after a while because they wanted to add more cameras and it didn't make sense. Yeah but that's funny so it is a u.s adaptation of a british comedy with the same name but after the first season unequivocally bombed in both audience ratings and critic reviews they hit their own stride and found their own style wait so was the first season just like literally exactly the british version no but it was much more similar to it than the later seasons of the office okay and the first run of the original, well, I, the original office is only like two seasons of six episodes or something. Like, it's like tiny. So it took it and ran. It really ran with it. <laughs> yeah. The show definitely found success and has won many awards, including five Emmys. The series was also named the best TV series by the American Film Institute in 2006 and 2008, won two Screen Actors Guild Awards for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Comedy Series in 2006 and 2007, and won a Peabody Award in 2006. A lot of awards. Steve Carroll. Carell. Okay, I have been informed by a listener. Thank you, listener. That it is pronounced Steve Carell. Carell. Shit. I said Carol the entire episode, (laughs) didn't I? Yeah. So there we go. Sorry, Steve. As we said before, we're just like so close with him that I was introduced to him as Steve. He's just Steve to us. So, you know, Stevie Boy, Stevie C, Mm -hmm. but you know. Yeah, we get really close, you know. Sorry, Steve. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Steve (laughs) Carell, who played the branch manager. Michael, was awarded a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Television Comedy or Musical in 2006. Hmm. Love how they... (sighs) Comedy or musical. Love that that's the same category. Those seem a little bit distinct to me. What if it's... Hmm. Anyway. Maybe they ran out of budget. (laughs) And they were like, oh, we'll just put comedy musical in the same. Ran out of trophies. Crap. (laughs) All right. Let's see. What two categories are left? So... For this podcast, we're going to be focusing pretty much entirely on Jim and Pam, a salesman and receptionist, respectively, who've been working at Dunder Mifflin for a few years when the series begins. Pam is a sweet-natured and silly person. She prides herself on being artistic and clever and enjoys classic architecture and window seats. She's an office prankster and enjoys tricks and games, especially when she can convince others to play along. She is engaged to Roy, who works in production and packaging in the warehouse of Dunder Mifflin. Mm Mm-hmm. Jim is a fun-loving and laid-back guy. He enjoys hanging out with friends, playing basketball, and playing pranks on his coworker Dwight. He's funny and playful, and most often the one who will team up with Pam for hijinks. Right, so we see that kind of similarity from the beginning. 
In the first season, we are introduced to Jim and Pam as office besties and allies against the rampant boredom that can occur in an office. They collaborate on pranks, play games, and help each other deal with the wackiness of Michael and Dwight. It seems sometimes as though the fair fall into some light flirting, but when Pam is confronted with a rumor that she has a crush on Jim, she quickly corrects the record and makes attempts to distance herself from Jim. Okay, so did that happen in season one? That was like season one, season two. Okay. Um, as we move further into the series, we get a few uncomfortable glimpses into Pam and Roy's relationship and how much friction is between the two. Pam seems to both fear the cookie-cutter small-town dead-end marriage she perceives her engagement to Roy to be, and fear the loss of security that she has with him. We see how different they are, and how some of Roy's more abrasive qualities are distasteful to her, and how these differences make Pam feel misunderstood and underappreciated. Jim struggles with his place in her life, wanting to be a confidant and supporter, but knowing that he has deeper feelings for her and a dislike for her fiancé. He constantly struggles with wanting their relationship to be more than platonic, and with seeing how Roy treats her. Such is the time Roy stayed back to thank Jim for keeping Pam company at work so he doesn't have to hear about her problems at home. Oh my god. <laughs> that is he said it as, like, kind of a joke, but in a way where you're like, I feel like you're kind of serious and you don't yeah. really listen to your your fiance see that's i mean that's a really i think that's a really good that was a really good addition because it not only shows us right that roy is a jerk but also that jim is really pam's friend for real like they talk deeply like because we know right that intimacy and interactions uh is based on self-disclosure and then sensitive responsiveness And so we see that they are, you know, developing that intimacy, even if it's within a friendship, and that that is not happening with the, the fiancé. Yeah. Ugh, Roy. So, okay, this is an interesting one. It's hinted that, it's hinted at that Pam earlier in the series implied that Jim is gay, um, with Roy later in the series telling her he wasn't jealous of Jim, of Jim when they were together because he thought he was gay. And I swear to God, I swear. And my Peacock account is being weird, so I can't access the <laughs> Superfan Extended episodes. Um, or really, the regular episodes. I don't have them, let's be honest. But I swear there's a point in way early in the series where she and... Roy are going home, and Roy says, that Jim's such a nice guy. You know who we should set him up with? Your brother. Oh, my God. I swear that that is this series. If I'm mistaking it with another sitcom, Honestly, though, I, I really think it was this. To me. I so really... Oh, it sounds one. familiar to you? Oh, no. Then it wasn't everyone. <laughs> Shit, But I don't mind. know. But Maybe I'm wrong. Roy did definitely later in the series say that he wasn't jealous of Jim because he thought he was gay. Was that because of Pam, though, or did he just assume, like, I don't know, because... Well, if that scene doesn't exist that I'm thinking of, it's just because he thought that some, mm, for some reason. Right, right, right. Interesting. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um... In the first episode of season two, after a bad fight with Roy, Pam finds herself incredibly drunk and vulnerable, and after winning a Dundee Award for the Whitest Sneakers, she kisses Jim in excitement, but seems to forget it happened right after. They spend the rest of the season as close friends, and it isn't brought up. Okay, wait, wait, now I'm curious, because did you say that she seems to forget it afterwards based on later episodes, or based on that episode? Both. It's not really, like, talked about. No, I know, but when I watched that episode, mm-hmm. the only episode I've watched, 
it didn't <laughs> seem like she forgot it seemed very authentically mm. like two friends something kind of awkward happened but like mm. it's okay like we're friends we just like won't talk about it well that is surely the reality of the situation Pam's relationship with Roy seems to be finally moving forward after Roy sets a date for their wedding after three years of being engaged. Oh <laughs> Good job. And he chose it just like randomly too. So it was kind of like, well, why'd that take three years? You clearly weren't sitting on anything. Mm-hmm. By the end of the season, Jim is spurred to reveal to Pam that he is in love with her after they kiss outside the office, but Pam rejects him and says she won't call off her engagement to Roy. Oof. Jim is heartbroken and ends up moving away, transferring to a Dunder Mifflin branch in Connecticut. See? 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 It doesn't even oh, happen. shit. The transferring doesn't even happen after the, the romance oh. is happening. Oh, wait. Just wait for it. Just wait. Oh, my God. Wait. I'm freaking out. See? I told you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Gotta calm down. I'm getting the vapors. I swear. Okay. At the beginning of the third season, we see Jim trying to fit in at his new office and meet the cool and pragmatic Karen Filippelli, who takes an interest in Jim. Spoiler alert, um, and also bias alert, uh, she's my favorite character ever, (laughs) and I love her. I love Karen. Anyway, back in Scranton, we find out Pam has left Roy and is living by herself in a new apartment, but she insists that it has nothing to do with what happened between her and Jim, and everything to do with her finally taking control of her own life and being less complacent in the face of independence. Okay, that just came out of 100% absolutely nowhere. Was it? We're in a new season now, so everyone's had the summer to mull over this. So they didn't really address it in the show, her leaving Roy? No, they don't show it at all. We come back for the fourth season and they are broken up and she's living on her own lazy writing (laughs) oh shit oh sorry this is the third season so after the connecticut branch meets the acts of budget cuts jim and a few of the staff are transferred back to scranton and jim and pam are reunited unfortunately for pam jim returns in a relationship with karen and she does her best to be supportive of them so does karen also transfer to scranton yes for jim she's interested in jim she approaches him when it's announced that she has the option to transfer and basically says, like, should I transfer? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says yes. So, they're together. It was cute. I love Karen. Ah, I just want what's best for her. <laughs> so, throughout the season, Pam and Karen get closer and become good friends because Karen's awesome, which originally bothers Jim, but he seems to brush it off. After why, Pam why does finds it bother out- him? Is there an indication? <sighs> well, we know what the reason is he's like super into her and they kiss twice yeah but why is he with karen if he likes pam like because pam has made herself unavailable to him she says she said she didn't want to be with you that's true true. she said i don't want to be with you and i'm not going to break up with roy and then he moved away and she ended up breaking up with roy anyway and but she said it's it's not because of jim yeah okay okay i get it i get it but after Pam finds out that Jim and Karen have been fighting about Karen moving too close to Jim's house, we're going to have to revisit that, she urges Jim to, quote, take it easy on her and tries to convince him that he and Karen can work things out and that they're great together. Later that day, Dwight finds Pam crying in the stairwell and tries to comfort her, but she refuses to tell him what made her cry. Aww. So that fight that Karen and Jim were having is that Karen has been staying, she's been living out of hotel Mm -hmm. since she moved to Scranton, and this has been weeks at this point, and she found a house for rent, but it was the same 
street as Jim's house, mm-hmm. like literally two blocks away or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said that it would feel too much like them living together. Oh my god. <laughs> that is very And funny. she was like, what does that even mean? And then they got into a fight. Oh my god, that is so weird. <laughs> I mean, uh, what do you call it? Foreshadowing. So good foreshadowing. Right. Right. So after Michael commits, this is a different episode later in the season. After Michael commits several faux pas in response to Phyllis, another coworker, getting flashed, he takes all the women in the office to lunch and ends up opening up about his relationship with his girlfriend, Jan, and reveals he doesn't feel happy when he's around her. That's a whole other thing. Oh my god. Pam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, Pam- okay, that's huge. <laughs> There's so much that goes on in this show that we would have to do separate episodes for each big relationship. Yeah. Pam urges Michael to break up with Jan, but Karen disagrees and try to tries to reassure him that it's only a rough patch and he just needs to power through it. Ooh. Okay. So that's <laughs> they're making the show is making it clear what's going on here. Karen later asks Jan to be honest with her feelings uh with her about his feelings for Pam, pointing out that she moved from Connecticut to be with him and deserves to know if he's in love with someone else. But Jim tells her that he had a crush on Pam when they started working together, and it was in the past. Okay. That's a lie. During the lie detector is turned. That's a lie. During a work trip to the beach, Pam gains courage after performing a firewalk and confronts Jim about how they've drifted apart in front of the office staff, including Karen, saying, I called off my engagement for you, and now we're not even friends. Oh my god, that is so not fair. I feel like she's flipping the scripts a little bit. Yeah, no, that's called gaslighting. (laughs) Um, That did not happen. Yes, I broke up with Roy, but it's totally not about Jim. I know what you're thinking. And I just really want to be an independent person. Oh my god. Drama. Drama. Everything is super awkward, and Karen tries to talk to Pam, probably expecting an apology, and is taken aback and a little annoyed when Pam doubles down on her public confession and says she's not sorry. Okay, so Pam is not coming off really well here, and she hasn't really been coming off well since the beginning. This is kind of a rough patch for both Jim and and Pam because objectively I just feel so bad for Karen and I feel like she's so cool and didn't deserve this yeah in the season finale she's also played by Rashida Jones that's part of it that's part of it in the season finale, Karen and Jim go to New York together, both interviewing for a position in Dunder Milfin's corporate office after they return, Jim breaks up with Karen and goes to the office to ask Pam out on a date okay, that seems yep, but okay (laughs) that's a lot the episode ends after Pam says yes. Oh my god. I like, I, I am not like a good audience for this because I don't like, I don't like the use of relationship conflict as a plot device. That's fair. And so like all of this is just so unattractive to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I just don't like their treatment of other people in the pursuit of their relationship. Exactly no yeah. one's behaving well this is the thing that this is the problem with using relationship conflict as a plot device everyone comes off badly no one looks good when it comes to them <laughs> yeah that's a rough patch so season four begins with the reveal that jim and pam are dating and very happy together and that karen had moved to new york after being offered the position at corporate they really use those season transitions to avoid 
<laughs> showing anything. 100%. They just, like, give a talking, like, a minute-long talking head of exposition, and they're like, we're good. Season Parks and Rec did that, too. I liked it a little better when Parks and Rec did it, to be honest. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just like that show better, maybe. I don't know. So, this season wasn't Jim and Pam heavy. They're just happily dating, so it's not very interesting. Oh, but those are my family favorite ones. I hate. Well, they're fun to they're fun to watch, yeah. but they're not fun to talk about on a That's podcast fair. about relationship conflict. That's fair. <laughs> we can look. We can do positive psychology too. It's okay. That would be so fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. Now you know why it's not a big field. Okay. We sat here and we're like, look how cute they are. Wow. Good job. Good job, guys. <laughs> But in the season finale, we find out that Jim was going to propose to Pam at a work picnic, but his parents were derailed by his co-workers getting engaged, and he decides to wait. Who gets engaged? His two co-workers to each other. Oh, just randomly? Random co-workers? Well, I mean, they, you know. They're random to us. They've been dating. <laughs> They're random to you. I think Andy and Angela's relationship is, once again, a whole other podcast. Okay. Okay, so... They're dating happily, but he didn't get a chance to propose to her. Yes. In season five, Pam decides to temporarily move to New York to attend art school, and she and Jim do well at long distance, even going as far as wearing earpieces and being on the phone all day together, but miss each other terribly, hence the earpieces. Hmm. One day, out of the blue, Jim texts Pam and asks her to meet him at the halfway point between Scranton and New York, and then proposes to her. Okay, so this is going well. It's like a really cute scene, too. They're like out front of this gas station, and it's raining, and oh, it's so cute. Oh, it's really cute. Okay, I just have to say, I'm going to say this next sentence, but I have a bone to pick with it. After failing out of art school, Pam returns to Scranton. I found a lot of summaries that said this. Pam failed, like, one class, and it was, like, some digital media class. And then she decided not to Mm -hmm. take the extra weeks to take that class again and decided instead to come back to Scranton. So I suppose that could be taken as failing out of art school. I'm confused because art school is a four-year degree. Oh, this is like a program. Okay. It was very strange in the series as well and it did not make sense to me. Yeah, this is really weird. They didn't plan this out very well. But I guess she failed out of art school, which I just, I I, I didn't know. (laughs) I heard that she failed one class and decided not to retake it. But, like, this is the thing. Her deciding to leave, because failing a class doesn't get kicked out. That'd be like saying Pace failed out of art school, my husband, because he decided to leave to take a job at DreamWorks. Like, exactly. It's not the same no, thing. No, yeah, she, she, did, she decided to leave school. So I yeah. take issue with that phrasing. But yeah. also in the season finale, we find out she's pregnant. Okay. Interesting plot choice. And I have to correct the record a little bit. I said in our bonus episode that Jim bought his parents' house without telling Pam after they were married, and I was wrong. Jim buys the house in this season, the fifth season. It was after Pam returns from New York and before they knew that she was pregnant. So it was actually less of okay. a bad decision than I thought. So so they were already it- making plans to have this life together obviously because they were engaged at that point like this is a settled committed they were already engaged when he bought the house right okay season six is pretty jim and pam heavy but not really any drama wait but did it did they did they talk about her feelings about leaving art school at all i just feel like that's a huge thing 
and then immediately to find out you're pregnant and go into this settled life of living in a house like right after you were in the school environment where it's like very different than so she went to she left art school sort of towards the beginning of this season and found out she's pregnant in the finale so there was like a chunk of time okay but um they never really did address a whole lot the implications of her leaving art school because clearly later in the series she still intends on pursuing art Mm -hmm. but yeah she does leave art school here so season six a lot of jim and pam but no drama because they're really happy i mean they got married and pam gave birth to their first child cecilia they call her Cece. this is so funny because i did i do know a little bit about where this goes because you told me and it's just really interesting to me that that this is when they're happy, right? Is when they're first having their first baby. Because we know from the research that actually relationship satisfaction plummets <laughs> and is at its lowest <laughs> during the transition to parenthood, that first baby. Right. Because you've never been through this before. You're stressed and you don't get any time with your partner. And yeah. you are entirely focused on this baby, which is hard and you're sleep deprived. And unlike with next the next baby, right, it feels like it's going to go on forever because you haven't been through it before. So it's like, it's just really funny because like, this is when they're happy and I know, you know, that later things change. But in reality, like usually people's satisfaction goes way up when the first baby turns like one. That is so interesting <laughs> because we do see like a little window into Jim and Pam struggling with the baby, but it was just so sitcom-y like... There's poop everywhere, you know, like we would get, we would hear, we would hear the other end of like a crazy phone call or like, you know, that kind of stuff. But, oh, and Jim has a really hard time coming back to work, like a really hard time. Um, But they don't really go into it a ton. And I think it's because so much else was going on in the series at this time. Hmm. So it may seem very weird, but we also might not be seeing the full extent of their home life right mainly because season seven was mostly focused on the relationship between michael and holly and michael leaving dunder mifflin to move in with holly um where she's from in colorado Mm -hmm. um and so jim and pam are focused with a new baby and also changing dynamic at work and they don't know how originally jim is going to fit into this because his position changed around quite a few times um especially after dunder mifflin was sold to a printer company called saber so there's just not a lot of us hearing from Jim and Pam. And this is kind of highlighted by the fact that a new staff member gave complimented them for not showing too many displays of affection. <laughs> That's funny. Little point, Ted. <laughs> Season eight begins. This is where. Season eight begins with Pam revealing that she was pregnant again. As well as introducing another staff member, Kathy. Kathy seems nice, but Pam is obviously jealous towards her throughout the season. Her trepidation towards her was proved valid, though, after Kathy attempts to seduce Jim while they're on a work trip without Pam. Oh my god. Jim rebuffs her advances, and when she doesn't leave his hotel room, he leaves and spends the night with Dwight. Okay, so, I mean, good chance to create maybe some drama and then show... Uh, that in reality, Jim is a good, good, good partner. 
I will say. We have previously discussed the fact that the writers had a plan for Jim and Pam to get divorced in the last season, which would be the season after this one. Mm -hmm. I found out today that in this episode, they plan to have Jim cheat with Kathy. Oh my god. Okay, that... I understand the appeal of that (laughs) from the writer's perspective, but that would, like, never, ever have gone irredeemable ever. Jim would be destroyed for every every person. Because literally, okay, cheating on a pregnant wife when you have an infant. Oh, my God. Like, that, he would be irredeemably, like, the villain. Okay, cheating on your partner, sick. Cheating on your spouse, even more sick and horrible. Cheating on your pregnant spouse who's currently taking care of your infant mm-hmm. child it's um, just like literally only people like psychopaths do that that's psychopath behavior yeah so the actor who plays jim john krasinski said that it was the first time he refused to shoot a scene and that he went to the writers and convinced them to change it oh my god he saved the show yeah jesus the reason he gave is that audiences wouldn't come back after seeing Jim cheat on he Pam. Was so right. And yeah, yeah I have to say so right. that would be the last episode for me if that happened. I would be done. Their numbers would have not not been good. Like I can't even like that would be it. And that's the thing is by doing this, you still have the drama, but then you also have what audience audiences want which is validation that the character that they like is a good character like is a good person. Right. And that love is real. And the love is real. Maybe. Oh, God. In season nine, Jim accepts an opportunity to join a startup called Athlete with an old friend based in Philadelphia, and Pam is not totally 100% on board. She's supportive. She wants, she's optimistic. Mm. She wants this to be really good because she can see how much it means to Jim. Right, but joining a startup when you have two young children at home is not the best exactly. idea. Exactly. I used when I was younger and I watched this show, I stupidly <laughs> was like, I think, you know, Jim is maybe a bit more like ambitious or maybe not just like brave than Pam. And then I realized the reality of their situation. Right. And I especially with the house thing, it's like I think that Jim is impulsive and maybe not good with money. Right. Now, looking back at it as a 23-year-old. <laughs> so, the two, once again, go long distance, basically. Like, he's splitting time, but a lot of his time is spent in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And this time, it seems to take a toll on their relationship. And yeah, because really I'm guessing she's home stressed. with the kids. Yep. Yeah. And working. Yeah. That's insane. And she has, like, other interests that she's trying to incorporate into her life, like art. Right, like a normal person see. having hobbies. <laughs> Instead of yeah. just spending 100% of her time either working at her job or working doing childcare. Exactly. Um, they have two big fights during this season. The first one was about Jim contributing $10,000 to the startup to match his oh. partner's contributions, even though they told him they didn't expect him to put any money in because he's in a difficult financial situation. Oh, no. Pam had originally agreed to contribute the $10,000, but did seem uneasy, and when she found out he didn't actually have to spend anything, she was upset that he spent all of the money anyway. So, the financial deception. That, 
I think that is really fucked up and crazy to me. That was such an ego move where his partners were like, oh, no, we understand that you have been working at a salesman at a paper company in the year 2009 and have a pregnant wife and a baby at home. So we don't expect you to contribute the $10,000 that we're putting in. And he felt like he was so bruised by that as a breadwinner that he was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just take it. One of the most, most, maybe even the most common argument in couple relationships is about finance, finances. Yeah, friend of the show, Eden, sent us a very interesting article recently. Yes. About Which we're gonna how talk many. About. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's so common. And he already bought the, the, the house thing when they were engaged. Uh, Pam, you have to be picking up on those clues. Yeah. No, and it's like, so and it's usually just because finances, like, and, and we see this in this situation, right? Finances can be, can trigger shame. And when something is very uh, ego relevant, it triggers those feelings of shame or guilt. It's, it's easier to hide things uh, rather than to confront them, even when, like, you share finances. So... You know, I think that's part of the reason that m- people c- fight about money in particular. It's not necessarily because um, it's relevant or important or impacts their life, although this does for sure, but also because it, it invokes these like really sensitive feelings that make you feel really bad and you just don't want to deal with that. That sucks. Yeah. Money's so hard. It's so stupid. But that's the thing is if you just... If you think of money, if you if you try and, like, take away the, the emotions from it and think of, like, you right. know, try to distance yourself from the shame of maybe being bad with money or um, spending more money than you expected, like, I think that takes away some of the power and then it probably will have less to do, you know, less impact on your relationship. It's literally just trying to separate your emotions from the actual situation, which is often the case. Yeah. Oof. Well... The second big fight that they've had, and this is one I told you a little bit about because it just, it makes me cry. It stresses me out every single time I think about it. Um, Pam called Jim after Cece's dance recital to tell him that she had been hired to paint a mural. Um, So very exciting for her. But before she could say the good news, he asked her if she'd remembered to record the recital. Uh, Pam said that she accidentally messed up the recording and only caught the first few seconds and Jim gets frustrated that since he has to be at work in Philadelphia he asked her to record it and told her exactly how so there wouldn't be any mistakes and now he won't be able to see Cece's dance. He angrily ends the call and Pam starts crying. Oh my god. A like... sound technician steps in to comfort her and the cameraman uh, asks and asks the cameraman to stop recording. That is like crushing. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> It's, like, crushing. It's the hardest scene, in my opinion, in the show to watch. Why would you write that down knowing that I'm someone who cries at commercials? Like, I don't understand what went through your mind. She's sitting there. She's pregnant. Her baby's at home. She's at work. She's calling him from work to tell him amazing news of something that she's, like, been trying to make work in her life for so long. And she... He... I'm not going to split hairs here. He he yells at her. Like, and I know that he's stressed, 
And the reason, but the reason that this is crushing. Yeah, and he hung up and he didn't call back immediately to apologize. And yeah. And this, the, so this is the first time in the entire series that we've seen any of the, of the camera crew. And literally the, the boom guy, the guy holding the boom, the sound guy, he like puts down his equipment and steps in to like come for her and is like, there's nothing you could do. It's just a horrible situation. And it, it, it's, it's impossible to watch. It's so hard. The, but the reason, like, I think really the reason that this is so fucking crushing is because, like, like, it's just, like, complete, not just rejection, but actually maliciousness from someone who is supposed to love you. Yeah. Oh, really oh my bad. god, this makes me we're so both sad. Crying I can't right even like, I like I don't just, know if I'll be able to finish the episode. <laughs> we're just talking about this oh scene. Oh my god. Anyway. And it's actually kinda it's kinda worse than that because the series ends without a concrete resolution of Jim and Pam's issues. Oh, we are led to believe that they resolved their issues and are moving to Austin to expand with athlete. But Oh my god, and then it ends? Yeah. And then it ends. Oh, that is so... Honestly, I would have preferred him just cheating because... <laughs> oh, my God. Because that, at least... Yes, he's a villain, but it's removed from the situation. He's not looking at her. Like, it's like it's he's in a different place. So you can just say, oh, that was bad. But, like, this is, like, so... Oh, God. It's, like, so malicious. Like, malicious. Like... Yeah. It really hurts, and I don't think that a lot of people watching the show realize, like, how mm, jar- how jarring and just, like, sad sort of Jim and Pam's relationship is. I think they're so often just, like, every- when I was in high school, everyone was, like, comparing themselves to Jim and Pam. When I was, like, in my first few years of college, every single person's, like, Tinder bio was, like, just looking for the, you know... Pam to my gym or gym to my Pam. Oh my like it's people are obsessed with this couple. They love them together. And when I first watched the series, I didn't love them as people because you know the characters in the show are kind of difficult at times. Mm-hmm. But I did think they were so good together. And then I watched it fall apart, and we, I, it was heartbreaking. It was so sad. You know, this is not like. No, so, like, I think... It's not a happy ending. No, it's not. And when, like, when you go to, like, the Gottman's research, right, so, like, what what makes relationships work? Like, one of the... One of the main principles is that when your partner turns to you, they'll use these bids for attention and love, and the worst thing you can do is reject them. And, like that's the that's the end because that's showing that there is no relationship there is no care left like there's no bond between the two of you and this is just like so clearly to me him rejecting a bid from her in a really mean way oh my god no i'm crying i just i was so sad why did we do the office? Why did I we don't do Michael know. And, Holly? and then the it fuck? ends. Like there's, they couldn't. Like I don't know why the author, why the authors would make this choice. Like it just feels like a loose end, a horrible loose end. They were gonna have him get divorced. I assume. Like I don't know. I hope that Bro. they. I mean, I don't know. Looking at this, I'm like. Do you think? Oh, here's a good one. So there's talks a little bit between the two of them of like 
couples therapy yeah. and like marriage counseling assuming that they probably do go to that do you what are the odds do you think of Jim and Pam staying together well we know that a lot of couples go to marriage counseling but 53% of marriages end in divorce and if you're already having trouble like it's not actually let me see I think my lab's website might have a stat on this there is a stat on how well couples therapy works let me just see if I can find it online 38% of couples who receive marriage therapy got divorced within four years of completing therapy. Oh. You know what, though? Considering probably, like, 90% of those couples went to marriage counseling because they were already having problems. That's true. That's a lower rate of divorce than the average. 62%'s not bad. Yeah, that's true. They saved 62% of marriages. Let's look at it like that. Or 60% like marriage saved yeah. rate bringing them back yeah they saved at 60% least of marriages thank you marriage for the counselors. Next four years <laughs> and they already have two kids they've got a lot of reason to stay together well that's what when we in our last episode that was one of the reasons that people would choose not to divorce is people with minor children specifically were less likely uh to get a formal divorce or to divorce at all dang so it may be okay oh god that was like uh, this was a rough one we're gonna have to do a good one next time do you do you want to do ben and leslie (laughs) yes oh i do because i love that because i love that because their relationship was 100 percent unproblematic throughout the entire series if we really run out of material with them because they're just so amazing we can talk about i don't know ann and chris but i (laughs) They also have a good relationship, though. I know, that's the point. We'll just just have a palate cleanser. (laughs) Do you think you're going to watch The Office? (laughs) No. Not especially not now, because I would just bawl my eyes out. (laughs) Man, if you just sort of, like, pretend that it ends right after they get married, you can be like, aw. Yeah, I think I would have to do that. I cannot watch them fall apart like this. It is too hard. Anyway, look forward to our next episode. We won't cry in the next one, we promise. No, we don't cry in the next one. Yeah. Both of us did cry in this one. That was not fake. Uh, what did, what did they say on shampoo bottles? Tear-free? <laughs> what did they say? Is it tear-free? Tear-free? Uh. No tears. No tears. Tears no more. <laughs> Crying be gone. <laughs> Just say no. Oh, no, wait, that's... The- that's something else. I think I think that's dare. <laughs> I was or abstinence only education. I I never know. Which. Oh my god! Hey, two birds, you know, <laughs> and no bees, and no condoms. Anyway, um, once again, it's the Hey Siri podcast. Just telling you to stay abstinent and don't do drugs. Okay, love you. Bye. Thank you.